All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, J.R. Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over a science fiction passion. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, welcome back for another episode. So this time, sadly, Chris won't be able to make it with us. Um, one of the difficulties with his full-time job is that sometimes authors are in different time zones and, and sometimes even you know, across the pond or whatever. And it uh, it just makes things a little difficult to schedule. So sometimes we have to be flexible. You might find a few episodes in the future that are just Chris and a guest. Some will be just me, but we'll try to keep it um, both of us for as much as possible because it makes it more fun. So today we have as our guest, Justin Sloan. He's the author um, of several novels. He wrote video games before becoming a full-time author with credits such as Game of Thrones, Tales from the Borderlands, Walking Dead, and Marvel and Mobile Games. He taught Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Muay Thai, yeah. That stuff, kickboxing and Marine Corps martial arts, and he can play three songs on the bagpipes. Justin holds advanced degrees in international relations and economics and creative writings. Oh, and he acted in movies for a bit, small roles, though. So uh, normally, you know, we would keep going, but I'm going to pause for a second. If your movie or your books got made into movies, would you act in them? I would love to. Yeah, I've actually done some adaptation stuff and one got optioned recently, uh, not of my book, but of a Sean Platt book. And when I was talking to the guys, I was like, can I get a role in there? Can I write myself in? And they're like, yeah, of course. Just give yourself a small role with a few lines. No big deal. So (laughs) that would be pretty cool. I know Clive Custler does it when he writes his own books. Like he's always like the bus driver, the guy that like sold them the, I don't know, the Tootsie Roll at the 7-Eleven or whatever. So it's, I, I think that's kind of a neat trick. I am not uh, enough yeah, of a yeah. narcissist to pull that off convincingly. Not that I'm saying you're a, you're a narcissist. I just, <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't do it. But <laughs> uh, movies am. are a whole nother matter though. Cause you're not actually being yourself like Clive yeah, yeah. was doing. Like you'd be being a character. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would do roles. I, I, I think I acted before I started really getting into creative writing. And so I wouldn't, I definitely would say that writing is more my passion now and more my dream. And if I, you know, died tomorrow and was just a writer, that'd be amazing. Uh, if I was just an actor, I'd feel like, oh, I lost out. I didn't get it right. Uh, but that being said, I was an actor first. So I still kind of look at it as like, that's part of the dream. That's something I still would love to do. All right. And so if you didn't catch on with his, the rest of the previous introduction, he was in the Marine Corps for five years. We won't hold that against him because not everyone was smart enough to go into the Army. But uh, <laughs> we, we convinced him to put his crowns down long enough to talk with us. 
So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, although I wonder, was that a, a joke when you were actually in or is that relatively new? Uh, relatively new, just with the kids and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that was a joke when I was uh, in the army either. Like, I don't remember anybody making fun of the Marines no. eating crown. <laughs> I don't know what it came from, but yeah. I just milk it cause it's funny. But, uh, and so the second part of this, um, interview, you know, introduction, we tell the, the listeners where we first found the guests. Um, and so sometimes that'll just be, uh, Google. But for for Justin, I actually found him when he invited me on his writing podcast a year ago, which is the Creative Writing Careers. Now, his podcast focuses on the business of writing, although not just books. He does video games, movies, plays, etc. Um, and I realized he was another veteran author uh, who turned to writing. So we sort of stayed in touch. Um, and uh, before that, I, I had known of him. Uh, before he reached out because he, we write in the same genres. And when you write, you have to do a lot of reading as well, what other people are doing. And so I was pretty excited when he said, hey, come be on my podcast. He's always very friendly. So if uh, at the end he has you so intrigued, you should uh, look him up on his contacts, which will be in the show notes, and, and reach out. He has um, a very interactive personality online. So, now let's move on to the interview. Woohoo! Um, what do you love about science fiction? Uh, well, of course, I mean, the typical answer, right, of just similar with like fantasy and all these things where you can go off into another world and explore and get out of what you're used to. Uh, particularly, I've always loved movies, and I'll probably get ahead of the question here, but like Back to the Future and Terminator, you know, like the ones that grew up in the 80s with uh, where – where you're seeing all these kinds of not really science, but you know, like almost fantasy, but in a sci-fi sense that, that are out of this world. And that's, that's how it's got me excited and made me want to write. See Terminator did scare me a little bit. That whole Skynet thing uh, was, uh, was a, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, but 10 when I watched it the first time, maybe something like that. <laughs> so I, I remember being at my aunt's house and uh, sitting back and watching Terminator, maybe one, maybe two. And uh, it was definitely scary at the time, but I was so engaged uh, aside from being terrified <laughs> that I remember it being a big inspiration for sure. The only thing that I never quite was able to understand was if he's really a robot, how he ages. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That was the one thing. Although mostly, that way you're a smart person making a robot, you're going to make it age because that's just cool. <laughs> I would think you'd want it to be young and virile, but hey, whatevs. Uh, yeah, but you don't want to feel bad. So every time you look at the robot, if it's young and virile and you're getting older, you're going to feel, you know, I'm getting old. So, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. It beats plot armor. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's your first memory? Uh, you answered a little bit, but we can expand on that of watching movies, TV, uh, reading books or playing games in the science fiction genre. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that'd probably have to be probably Terminator, like I mentioned, uh, because it was like, at my aunt. She would always show us all these R-rated movies. So I remember all these weird ones, like some weird horror movie about a genie who killed everybody. Uh, you know, it makes messes up all your wishes. Yeah, that still gives you nightmares. <laughs> and, and movies like uh, Terminator and uh, I don't remember, Alien, maybe. Uh, anyway, some some really good ones that were messed up for, I mean, like starting as young as six, probably. And, <laughs> and, and so these ones have definitely, definitely stayed with me. But as far as like games and whatnot, I remember we would play a lot of... Uh, Shadowrun when I was a kid. I think it was Genesis or Super Nintendo. That was like the big thing, which kind of mixes, I think, if I remember it correctly, uh, science fiction and a little bit of fantasy in there too with the magic stuff they do. Or uh, if, if I'm messing up game titles in my head, yeah, feel free to slap me. <laughs> but but that one for sure. 
So when I was a kid, my mother always said we had a computer, so we didn't need like a game system. So I didn't get my first Xbox or any game system really, which was an Xbox, till I left the army because um, we just we just weren't allowed to have one. And so I, I grew up playing like Boulder Dash and um, some Castle Builder games on Commodore sixty four because that was what we had. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. Okay, so, yeah, I remember playing uh, King's Bounty. That was the big one on the computer in my day. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, classic. I've heard of so it. Good. And then uh, at my grandmother's house, she had the old Atari. So we would nice, play like Leapfrog. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then at some point we got into more of the fantasy stuff. And I think that's what got me uh, really excited about the writing to begin with, uh, because we would we, me, we were like 11 and we started making up all these fake video games and like doing maps and telling stories. And then I started I was an artist. So I started getting into like making the comics about the video games. And we we got on the phone and tried to sell these video games to companies. We'd like look at their phone numbers on the back of the games and call them. And some HR, I mean, not HR, but some like public whatever person would be like, uh, no, that's not how it's done. <laughs> the good old days. Well, at least they were nice and answered. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't it was just a recording like it probably would be nowadays, right? They learned their lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although now they have email, so you can still reach out. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure it goes through all hundred spam filters before you get to anybody. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a, a system here and I'm seeing like a Back to the Future 12 Monkeys was a big one. Uh, came out when I was like 14, I guess. Um, aging myself. Oh. And Terminator, Terminator, you know, like, and, and so I'm seeing this theme of uh, space, uh, time travel, sorry, of time travel being pretty big in all these movies that I loved back when I was a kid. Interesting. Time travel is just fascinating. Like I've, I've always been interested in that. So I read a lot of the alternative history with, was it uh, Harry Turtle Dove, I think did like a lot of those, like what would happen if the, you know, America had split during the civil war, what would that have done to international relations with the first world war? And like all of that yeah. stuff was just fascinating. Like, like just the what if questions, like take any moment in time and then yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it didn't happen that way. And what, you know, that, that just always fascinated me. So I, t- the what ifs are the really fun. Like if it's really, if there's the what if stuff, which is very intriguing. And then there's the, Oh my God, that was just fun. You know, like the starship troopers movie. <laughs> I remember seeing that. I, I did love the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just remember being in the theater with my best bud, David at the time. And, uh, yeah, oh, he still is actually. I don't know why I said it at the time, but uh, anyway, watching that movie and like watching, there's a scene where one of these uh, flying things comes through and a guy's head goes flying off, and I just started cracking up, and my buddy just like punches me because he's pissed. They're like, "Why are you laughing?" Uh, it was just a fun movie, you know. <laughs> I, I did, and then the follow-ons. I mean, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for a cheesy B movie, so yeah, yeah. Although I did, I know the. Um, I think it was Xander Hoff. I'm drawing a blank on the director's name, but I know the guy that did the directing for the first Starship Troopers. Like he was trying to make some large political statement. Mm-hmm. I missed all of that. I just saw oh, yeah. like a, a a fun action flick. I just saw a co-ed shower scene. <laughs> <laughs> if you get a chance, do watch some of their interviews they've done at various Comic Cons and stuff, where they talk about some of the hijinks that went on in that scene, oh, like man. before they did it. Before they filmed the scene, like they were messing with each other. Oh no, that'd be weird. <laughs> that'd be awkward. Not, I mean, <laughs> wow, that sounded bad. But, but uh, no, like, like they had um, some of them. Like, I guess they had put like M and M's and candy, various candy, like on the the tables. I, I, I'm not big in like how the movies are made. And then like one of the guys was telling him like, oh, we we switched those. Those were actually Viagra pills. And oh man, you know, like they were they were messing with their heads, just having fun. Yeah, that's great. Like basically barracks humor, but they had just come out of when they filmed that movie. Like um, I can't remember the guy's name, but they'd done like their own version of like a boot camp, so they could get um, like have that vibe, right? So they kind of knew how to move as a unit and act that way. 
And, and so, you know, they were ripping each other like, like soldiers or sailors or whatever will do. And so they just sort of took it to the next level. <laughs> That's fun. So what, um, what, how did your love of the genre of science fiction, um, transition into you writing your own books? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mentioned briefly that I started off with, uh, fantasy in a sense, cause I, I was reading more like the George Martin at this time and, uh, and, and Brandon Sanderson, um, and so at one point I was just uh, sitting back. So I'll try to tie in how the sci-fi part comes in. But so I was sitting back and I was thinking, where's a great novel? I want to read a novel. I'm asking all my friends. They're, they're like already recommending ones I've already read. And, and so then, you know, I did what a lot of us do. And I say, well, I'm going to try to write my own because I know what I like. So maybe there's other people who like what I like. And, and I fell in love with it. I, I wrote like 120 or 100 something thousand words in like three or four months. And I was like, this is so amazing. Uh, and at this point I'd like, you know, stopped doing all that stuff. I'd done a lot of it when I was younger, like with the comic books and a little bit of creative writing when I was like 11 or 12, uh, just for fun, you know, and like to, to sell to video game companies, of course. But now I'm like, uh, after grad school and everything, my first grad school and, and, and I'd sworn off fiction while I was doing that. Cause like, I'm going to be serious. I'm going to get a real career. Uh, and then this just happened. And I was like, Oh my God, this is my calling. I have to be doing this. And it went on and on. And I was at the federal reserve, uh, a little bit later sitting there going, wow, this is kind of where I was trying to get. I was an Asia analyst on Taiwan and India. And I was thinking, you know, for a while that would been, had been the career that I thought I wanted. And I was like, this is, this is it. I made it. And then I'm like, wow, uh, this sucks. <laughs> this is so boring. And I'm sitting here like for eight hours a day, not being creative. What the hell? And so I just went full stream on trying to make sure that wasn't the case anymore, which gladly it isn't anymore. Uh, and then, then I went to Telltale, uh, Telltale Games and worked on Tales from the Borderlands, which is semi sci-fi humor, all that stuff. Well, it's definitely sci-fi, but it's, it's more on the humor, silly, crazy, wacky side of it all. Yeah. And that was my real experience writing a sci-fi. Up till then, I hadn't uh, touched the genre, really. Of course, I'd love the movies and books and video games, uh, other ones like that, but, but I hadn't tried it. And then right. I didn't get into it really. It was like this slow progression, I guess. So your question, uh, does it quite work for my situation? Because I started writing with Michael Anderley. I had done some werewolf and vampire type things and, and he was doing those. And so I was like, hey, do you think we could collaborate on something? And it so happened that where we ended up landing, because we had talked about multiple versions of what that would be. Uh, but where we ended up landing was in 150 years after the, the world is kind of uh, blown up on itself. And so it's almost sci-fi. It's kind of more post-apocalyptic, but we, we had, you know, uh, like pods that fly around and stuff. So it ended up having uh, more of a, a Blade Runner feel to the sci-fi slash post-apocalyptic world that it was. Uh, and from there, I was like, wow, I kind of do like this sci-fi stuff, like as a writer, like I thought I couldn't do it. You know, I was intimidated by the genre, I guess I should say. And, and even when I submitted a short story to C.C. Uh, Keke, is that how you say his last name? Uh, Charles? I honestly don't know. Okay. <laughs> I submitted a short story for one of his anthologies, uh, just thinking, well, this is fun. Why don't I try it out? And, and we had this back and forth where I'm like, is this good enough? Are you sure this can hang? Are you, are you, are you sure? <laughs> and he's like, dude, shut up. Just write this stuff. You're kicking butt in it. Uh, you're doing well. So you can attribute some of my getting into sci-fi to him in the sense that he was encouraging. And to Michael Anderley, of course. And we always knew with the Enderly stuff that my character would go into space at some point. So that was kind of like all the first series was a setup for her to go into space and become kind of like a, in a sense, a space Marine, but she's more of a space kicking, butt, super genetically engineered lady, uh, vampire in quotation marks. <laughs> so by the definition of the sci-fi shenanigans, if Amazon says it is science fiction, we say it is too, because right. we had to have some sort of standard and Enderly definitely qualifies as sci-fi. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Hey, so, so yeah, so that was the progression that got me really into it. And then I, I started looking at who am I, you know, oh, I'm a Marine. I, I like sci-fi. I'm writing a sci-fi now. Uh, why am I not doing Space Marines? That's that's stupid to me. <laughs> and I loved all the games growing up. I had recently played Advanced Warfare and loved that one, uh, which isn't that old, uh, but it's around the time when I started writing sci-fi. I just finished that, and I was like, this is this is fun stuff. I should definitely be writing Space Marines. So that 
that all led to where I am now. Okay. I know the um, the reason we set the, the Amazon standard is because like when you play Scrabble, you kind of have to agree which dictionary you're going to use. Uh-huh. And, and rather than have to decide what's sci-fi enough or like, you know what? Amazon's the biggest retailer of books. If they say it's sci-fi, I count it too. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. <laughs> so so that, that's our standard because I realize sometimes people will be like, well, they put dragons in their sci-fi or werewolves or whatever. Is it sci-fi enough? Or, yeah. you know what? I don't have time for that nonsense. If, if it's classified <laughs> on Amazon, I'm going to call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like is the definition sci-fi is based on like what is it using a technology from the future that we don't have today or is it uh, just anything in the future that's like crazy new world and whatnot, which is, you know, sometimes science fantasy. But yeah, if you go by the Amazon definition, it works. And that's what I prefer, because in my mind, there's a big delineation between sci-fi and like epic fantasy, where epic fantasy has to be back in the old days, even if it's a made up world uh, versus sci-fi for me still feels like, and I know people don't agree. (laughs) Some of my readers even uh, still feels like it's got to be in the future and have like spaceships and cool stuff. And I know there's like my buddy's doing an FBI sci-fi thing, which is cool uh, and exciting. And it's not going to feel like that at all. And of course that's still sci-fi. I'm not saying it isn't, but in my mind, when I hear the word sci-fi, I have a very specific image of what that is. Yeah. And and me too. But I also know that, you know, (laughs) We're, we're doing this to appeal to the larger fan of the written science fiction. And so, like, not everybody reads Mil SF, which is military science fiction, which is what I prefer, or space opera. And so, you know, they they all – they're all voices count too, right? So I don't want to, like, narrowly define it by what I like. So that's why we went with uh, Amazon. So when you do um, – when you write, what do you think is your the single largest influence on your on your writing? Uh, as far as like what like like the movies and whatnot, or all of it? Let me answer it this way, and then that way I can just answer it how I feel like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking at people around me and wondering why they're so weird, I'd say that's the biggest influence. Because when I like to write, I like to look at these characters and put them in these situations and just figure out who they are and what they would do. And that's why, if you look through some of my reviews, you might see people being like, "Why is this character like this? Why why is that happening?" And that's because I like to explore what I don't know. So if I'm a white male, you know, in my almost 40 with three kids, a lot of my characters probably aren't going to be that because that's me. I don't I'm not really excited about me in that sense. (laughs) I don't need to discover me. I've already done that. I'm writing. Uh, So I like to discover other people and explore who they are and and think about what they would do in these different circumstances. So I'd say that's like the biggest influence is just looking around at people around me growing up. But in addition to that, same idea with the characters, you know, like in movies and and books, Uh, reading some of these uh, authors like like George R. R. Martin, who just like I'll read a paragraph and I'll be like, dude, this has like three different meanings in it. Oh, my God, this is so dense, so intense, you know, so deep. Uh, And that totally inspires my writing or or looking at just movies that I've loved in the past, like the ones we already talked about. And like The Princess Bride, where you can just watch it a thousand times and the soundtrack comes on and you're just drawn back into it. And all of a sudden you're in that world again. You know, all this kind of combines to just I'll be sitting there and this will happen and all of a sudden an idea will start flowing out of my head and then I'll have to sit at the computer and start writing it down before it disappears. I, I can definitely see the world around you being an inspiration. So I'm um, a member of the the TRMN, the Royal Manicorian Navy. It's the fan group for um, David Weber's Honor Harrington stuff. And um, I haven't finished all of the books, but I met the local ship people uh, when I was at RavenCon in 2016. And they were just so friendly. I'm like, I don't care if I like the books or not. Not saying I don't, but I mean, when I joined, I was like, I don't care if these books are good or not. These are fun people, right? So I'll go ahead and and show up to the meeting and see what it's about. And so they have this uh, bridge simulator, um, Artemis something. Um, and so I just was sitting back watching him at the last meeting. Uh, yeah. And it's like there being like a, a bridge crew, if you would, because there's like five different monitors. And then the captain has a separate monitor. Um, 
and they're commanding the ship and they're fighting these, you know, other ships for reasons that don't really matter because they never tell you just go blow them up. Nice. <laughs> um, and so I, I got so many in the, this was a birthday party for, for a friend of mine, Joel Lyons. And so he was a little bit intoxicated. And so watching the shenanigans with, with the drunk guy trying to be a, a ship captain, I was like, there's so many story ideas in this. Yeah. And people doing great things, right? You like these authors you see doing these these amazing books and these, these film people, these auteurs and the, and, and just looking at them and going, wow, that's, that's inspiring. They're inspiring me to this level. Uh, maybe I could someday inspire somebody to that level. And so uh, striving for that. Yeah, I definitely ag- agree with that. Like writing is like the, I was a history major in college, so I can definitely see where like writing is the surest way to immortality, right? Like they might not ever solve, like I follow the, uh, the let's see Facebook group and it's a Twitter group, the futurisms, <laughs> Uh, and they t- they like look at all the science and, and technology and they sort of project where it's going and they've been pushing hard this one where we might finally beat aging you know and you could you know truly live forever like i don't i don't know that i buy that's going to happen because at a certain point in time dna will decay but um uh, for me like as a history major looking back like well what what do we know about history survives through the through the written word right so when you write you are essentially becoming immortal so that's that's definitely um yeah, I, I can definitely feel where you're coming from. So, but let's transition away from from what you do when you're writing, and let's ask you uh, more from a fan angle. So, has anybody actually cosplayed your stuff yet? I've had emails asking if they could cosplay characters. Uh, less from the sci-fi, uh, more for um, I've had two people do that for my Ali Strom books, which are like middle grade, uh, kind of Harry Potter esque stuff. Uh, which is weird though, because I don't really see her having much of a uh, an outfit. I guess in the book three, she does. She gets this whole like armor setup going on, uh, which is kind of fun. But uh, yeah, I, I, they never sent pictures, so I don't know if they ever actually did. Um, I would like them to do some of my more recent stuff. I think I've, actually, I think somebody did it about Valerie too. But I'm like, well, I don't, okay, what would you wear? I'm, I, don't, I don't really know what that means usually. Uh, so no, not that I know of. Well, at least they asked. That's a step in the right direction. Yeah. So they might so, have done uh, it. And I should follow up and say, you must send a picture. Otherwise, it's illegal. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or just beg. I will send you an autographed signed yeah. copy of whatever book you're cosplaying. Oh, you just reminded me. I'm supposed to send one out. Oh. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> so has anyone, has anyone asked for your autograph in a non-ironic manner? Obviously, your mom giving you a hard time doesn't count. Uh, phew. I don't think so. I was trying to think about that one. Um yeah, I no, but I'll answer a different question, which is um, the coolest like autograph place thing I've ever done was. Huh, and I forget the name of the the, the foundation, or whatever. Right now, it's like Terra something or other, and it, it's over in San Rafael, California, and they basically help kids uh, who've lost someone in their lives, you know. Uh, and they invited me to go there, and they bought like fifty copies of my books and gave them out to the kids. There, these are some of the younger stuff I've done. I've done for younger age groups books also. And so they gave them out and I sat there and like signed books and chatted with the kids when they were coming in. And man, that was like heart wrenching, you know, it's like, it, it was really cool to see that they're, they're there and their family's there to support them. And then a lot of them were like, this is the first time I've ever met an author. This is so cool. And, and so it was really touching. Oh, when, uh, when we're done recording, if you could get me that link to the charity, I'll go ahead and list it. Um, yeah, great. Um, so the, I, uh, I, mean, I should just go get this shirt and like wear it when I do these podcasts. So if I forget, I can look down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, you know, if you, if you, obviously I can't look if I don't know what to look for and Tara, something I'll is just it. not going to get, get me much on the Google machine. But if you get that to me, we'll definitely link to them. So people uh, can look them up and I'm sure, you know, if they do this kind of stuff that, you know, they're probably going to take donations of, yeah, of cash and whatnot if, uh, to help them out. So we'll get that to you in the show notes, people. So finally, what's the weirdest or funniest story you've had about an interaction with a fan since you've, uh, since you started writing? Hmm. That's another tough one. Um, 
I've had it's easier to answer on like the kid stuff, and it's not really like crazy interactions or anything like that. But just stuff that I thought was exciting was fun is a uh, like kids writing me. The kid wrote me from France in French, and so I had to translate it, uh, asking if I could include him in one of my books. <laughs> That's kind of fun. And then uh, uh, little little things like that, really, where it's not like so crazy, but it's just like, oh, that I never thought that would happen. Like you know, some kid from France writing me, <laughs> expecting me to understand what he's writing, uh, which is you know, I just not like I wrote a book. In, well, we had a book translated into French, so he probably read that and figured I knew French or something. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't really have any good answers for that one, unfortunately. You guys got to get more crazy out okay. there. Come on. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. I mean. I, I have never had anyone from France write me. So, all right. So let's transition into what we're going to be talking about uh, specifically with his books. Uh, Justin has written many series. So this is where we list them out for you people. He's written the Biotech Wars, Valerie's Elite series, Shadow Core series, the War Wolves series, the Syndicate War series, Reclaiming Honor series. That's the one with, with Andrew Lee. Yeah, and so is Valerie's Elites. Uh, and P.T. Hilton joined me for that one. Cool. So three books, huh? That's got to be confused or three authors three oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. um yeah I, they, I think android's readers are used to that by now and i think a large uh, portion of the people who pick up those books are ones who are familiar with his work already so uh for them i don't think it's super confusing we also had like uh, another one you're about to say which was written by me and anderley and then pt hilton did one in that same universe and with Anderley and we had some crossover stuff in there. So yeah, there's all kinds of crazy, confusing stuff. No, I just meant from the writing side, like you're passing it between three people oh. now instead of, instead of two. No, 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 really. I'll, I'll interject your, interrupt your, uh, your, your list to, <laughs> to say, uh, like there's an easy way that we do that. We just do multiple POVs and like, really it's, uh, I do a POV, uh, PT does a POV, a point of view character and, uh, Michael Moore kind of oversees it, you know? Okay. So not so not so tough, not so tough. We're doing one right now that was like that too. It's actually it's actually really easy. We each, we were like, oh, we're gonna write like thirty thousand words. Um, me and my co-writer, and it's a pen name thing, so I won't mention it here because it's it's dirty. <laughs> but we uh we 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 each were doing that, and like within like no time at all, each of us had written like forty five thousand words, and we're just like, how did this happen? And, and then you have a ninety thousand word book, which is which is great, right? Because usually on my own, I'll I'll struggle to get that far because usually a story in my head is, you know, kind of like screenplay mode. So I'll be lucky if I can get like 75,000, 80,000 words instead of suddenly just have like a 90,000 word book, like boom, because both of you were doing POVs on the, on the story. Yeah, it's, it's a nice system. Okay. So uh, then you've written the hidden magic chronicles. Is that the other one with Anderley and PT Hilton? Correct. Yeah. I mean, PT is not on that one, but he did one in that universe as well. Yeah. That whatever you want to call it. The, uh, they call it um, the age of magic. And so he did a series in the age of magic and then we had crossover. Okay. The um, then we have the Falls of Redemption series, the modern uh, necromancy trilogy, uh, Cursed Knight series, and his Ally Strom series, which is the middle grade um, series he mentioned previously. Yeah, she shows up too in another in an anthology, uh, t- Tales Tales from the Apocalypse or something like that. So I'm so bad at names and remembering things. Uh, but that was a cool one where they donated part of the uh, royalties to a veteran organization. Uh, you know, so that's always fun. Cool. Uh, and so while they're all sat, while all of those books sound amazing, uh, today we're going to focus on his newest series, The Biotech Wars. So how did you come up with the premise for this series? Like where did the spark of inspiration come from? Yeah, this is one where I actually worked backwards. Uh, so me and my wife, about a year ago, we decided to start having date nights or date days or whatever, where we would go out and instead of just having fun, we would brainstorm a story. And so we, we got all intense about it because she's more like a project manager person. And so we'd bust out all these Excel documents and these other weird 
uh, software things that I don't know what she's talking about. And we would just sit there and come up with ideas and then brainstorm out this whole series that was about, uh, we scheduled, we outlined it to be about nine books. And, and that was a lot of fun. And then what happened was, so we were debating like, how does it lead up to that, right? And how much do we want to show the audience? Uh, do we just want it to be backstory or do we want to write a short story for that? And that's what we originally were thinking. It's just, I oh, write a short story. It's fun just to like kind of get into the zone of it, into the flow. Uh, and then I think I just saw a cover that I really liked. Uh, was like, not even a cover, just a piece of art that somebody had done. Uh, Zach Sai from uh, our station. I'm okay with sharing his name now because I'm not using him presently because he did that series and it was expensive. And <laughs> I'll probably go back to him at some point, but if you guys want to contact him, I'm sure he'd be happy to work with you. Uh, and he's amazing. And so that was the book two cover, the uh, uh, Project Exodus cover. And, and I just loved it. I was like, I really want to write this. And this fits perfectly with the uh, the backstory to that series. And then I, I started thinking, I was like, well, this could be this and this could be that. And lo and behold, uh, a whole trilogy started flowing out of my head onto it in an outline. And, and so I commissioned him to write another, I mean, to draw another uh, cover. And he had another one that I thought, I thought fit really well for book three and had a similar style, like a kind of cyberpunk-ish feel to it. And and so, yeah, then I just started outlining the books and writing them, and, and that's where it all flowed from. So kind of a backward process there. Okay. Well, we're going to take a moment uh, and pause for a word from our sponsor. They picked a fight with the wrong species. A nation at war. The United Stars of America. Born in the conflagration of an unprovoked alien attack. The newest entrant to galactic politics took the few crumbs of hypertech gifted to it and ran with them soon expanding over dozens of star systems and establishing a wide trade network protected by its powerful navy and the dreaded warp marines in a fight to the death a single marine platoon tasked with protecting an embassy on a hostile alien planet an embassy and the fragile human enclave around it that soon finds itself surrounded by armed mobs. Can the Marines at a ragtag band of civilian and Navy personnel survive long enough to be rescued? All right. Welcome back. So we were talking specifically about the origins of his biotech war series. Uh, so we'll get right back into that. Um, you've described the series as Jason Bourne meets Mr. Robot on a space station. So do you feel like this type of story is where cyberpunk is going? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm always bad at doing the right to market thing where it's just like, uh, and, and what I mean by that is you'll see some books out there that are very paint by numbers. Like they, they're exactly what the market wants. And I'm kind of always just doing my own thing, which is a hindrance in the term of sales sometimes. So when I'm writing this, I'm less worried about like, does this fit with cyberpunk or does this fit with whatever? And I'm just thinking, what is an awesome story? And then as I'm going, I'm trying to think because I've heard all these people talking about right to market and all these things. So I'm trying to keep that in mind. Uh, but but really, it's just what's a fun story, you know what I mean? And then you, I see Alter Carbon come out and I watch it and I'm like, this is so similar to my story and tone and some other things going on here. And, and so in that sense, it works. Um, but, but is the kind of genre going that way or has it gone that way? Uh, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> that's why in some other versions, I also put shadow, shadow, sh- sorry, the game shadow run, so like shadow run meets die hard on a space station or something like that, which is kind of a similar concept. Except for shadow run had the magic angle. And I don't really do that, uh, in this series. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> kind of. Sure. Uh, I don't know as an answer. So <laughs> Biotech Wars is clearly a series. Um, so where do you see it going? You have three books out. Uh, so what's next for these yeah, characters? Well, uh, two books out, actually. The third book is going to launch on the 20th of March, which might have been when you've already aired this. I don't know that. 
But uh, yeah, so the third book I am actually finishing today. Uh, I'm going to go write the last two chapters after we speak. Pretty exciting. And then maybe I'll reward myself. I try to go to this German place by my house that has the best black beer ever. Uh, and that, that's my system. <laughs> uh, so as far as where it's going, though, I'm going to write book three. Uh, it's definitely setting up some things, but the story is totally over. Like you'll see these characters. You'll see that the story is over for them. Uh, asterisk. Uh, but there's been two other characters that have shown up as POV characters at this point. Uh, they started in book two and they become more pov in book three so in book three has like four pov characters four or five so those two of those pov characters though are starting their own series after this and that's the one that i was mentioning that i outlined with my wife that's like a we outlined it as nine books i might make it six uh depending on how things go you know what i mean like because you don't want to commit to nine and then on book three suddenly the sales just top because then you're kind of in trouble for paying rent uh but i want to make it six regardless you know what i mean like i I want the artist in me says, screw the business side. I just have to do this. Uh, whether that means all at once or doing three and then watching sales and then doing something else and coming back to it, I'm not sure. But my preference is to do all six. So it's going in some interesting direction that will have a similar feel from the first three. But, okay. Uh, get way so, more over the top and crazy. All right. So you're going to do the follow-on series and go from there. Now, have you started hiring out covers for that? Oh, I have four covers already done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm so set. you're committed that far. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm probably gonna get the other guy on the next two, uh, at some point too. I'm loving his artwork. Um, if people look at my Facebook pages, uh, you'll see one called Starforged. Uh, I have the first one up on some of these groups, and and it's awesome. It's just like very got a space marine feel to it uh, for the main two characters, and yeah, just really really great work from this artist uh it's a different guy who i'm not gonna mention yet because i'm still uh, working hardcore with him i'm also doing a co-authorship with an author uh who's kind of it's gonna be her debut uh authorship under this name and uh it's looking great like the book is a hundred thousand plus words uh we're gonna go with the cover from this guy because he's he's amazing uh and, and her writing is just like we read it and we're just like what and uh we have some big plans for it so, so that's pretty exciting Okay. So uh, you mentioned briefly the second ago that your reward for finishing um, writing was a, a beer uh, at this German place. So are you um, backwards like our, our British cousins and you drink it warm or are you uh, a smart, sane individual and you drink your beer properly chilled? <laughs> properly chilled i don't even know if the place would serve it warm i wonder uh but yeah no no it's 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 delicious i i work for uh well my first series was written in tim taylor's uh human legion world and that's been a running joke between us because i know he listens so take that tim uh he's one of those backwards british who thinks um the beer should be drank warm but yeah that's just confusing uh we we went to some place uh, a russian place where they had kvass which is like uh it's like a root beer, I think, or am I mixing, or is it a beer? I'm mixing up which one is which in my head, but, uh, and they served it warm and it was pretty good, but it had like a sweeter thing going on. So I don't know. Uh, but we went to Ireland thinking that they were going to serve warm beer because we'd heard that. And then it was all cold. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I wonder if that was because you, did you like stay at the uh, more touristy places? I mean, it was just Dublin. It was just like the strip of bars in Dublin where they're playing all their tin whistles and you're just walking around having a good time. So I don't know. Uh, maybe they were protesting the British by drinking it right. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sorry. That was a little tangent. I, I, I throw that in whenever I can because I, I like a good beer too. So I'm one of those you know, r weird people, I guess, according to my wife, who actually thinks beer tastes good. <laughs> I don't – like I'm not drinking it to get drunk. I really do just yeah. like the way it, it tastes. So – the right beer for sure some of them do taste weird and you know that that's why you gotta drink the right beer that's why i don't <laughs> drink alcohol there's really good sake there's really good vodka do you drink the high quality stuff or just the right brand hey yeah i i don't um i don't tend to drink like the miller or the butt i prefer like the micro brews yeah. so I, I drink a lot of that but well not a lot but that's <laughs> yeah, what i prefer 
Parks and Rec. We were, we were rewatching Parks and Rec recently, and uh, it's right around when um, uh, what's it, Chris Pratt? Is he the guy who plays Guardians of the Galaxy? Where he loses like fifty pounds, and they're like, "How'd you do it? You just I stopped drinking beer." And they're like, "You you lost fifty pounds because you stopped drinking beer." <laughs> He's like, "How much were you drinking? A lot." Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I uh, I drink it as like a reward every now and then. Like it's not something I do like all the time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah. So anyway, not to get off track. So I've skimmed your reviews, and uh, all of them seem to think you've captured something unique and fresh with this with this biotech series. So how will you manage to keep that up while you grow this universe in the next series? And does that series have a name yet? The next series, um, I wonder. Yeah, I'm gonna put it up for pre-order pretty soon. I think so. That's fine. So I want to. I want to include the first chapter or two in the back of this one. So I'm, I generally try to avoid pre-orders, but I'm gonna do it anyway uh, because I want to have it up there and just out. You know. So it's it's called the Ascension Gate series, and it's excuse me. I don't want to spoil the end of this book, so I don't want to go too much into what it is. But it's exciting. <laughs> there we go. All right. So you're taking characters in this Ascension Gate series that were in the third book in the biotech wars second and third. Yeah. They're mentioned in the first book and then they show up in the second and then there are much more in the third. And, and so those are going to be the main two. And then I said asterisk earlier because um, people who listen to this probably won't remember if they even do read my books, they probably won't remember by the time they get to these books. So I will say that the main characters will probably show up around book two or three in the new series. So the other two that we've seen so far, but they will at first anyway, they won't be POV characters. So yeah, there's some some exciting stuff for you. Okay. <laughs> Hope I didn't ruin it for anybody. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Um, we're going to try to get this out uh, as close to launch, but I know, um, you know, Chris has to do the um, the audio editing because he's the tech guru, and so you know, there's there's definitely a little bit of a lag time. Um, and then yeah. we, but essentially. It's not going to come out until like May or June anyway. Right. So and we got some time on that. When we first got started, everyone's like, oh, you need like 10 or so podcasts in the yeah. in the queue. And so we did that at first. And we're finding like it's hard to get people to say yes when I tell them, oh, it's it'll air three months later, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so we're – We try to do that too. But it's just hard to keep up with the schedule and keeping everybody's schedules on track and all that stuff. So Yeah. So Chris, or, uh, Chris has been editing them and we've been doing like three a week until we get down to just four. So we can say, you know, a month roughly after you, you do the interview. Yeah, good, good deal. Um, so he, he works really, really hard at that. But um, so you've got the, the Biotech War series. You're following that on with the super secretive Ascension Gate series, which you can't tell us about because spoilers in the black helicopters listening. Um, I hear them over overhead. But uh, will any other forms of media come out? So will there be RPGs in this universe, movies, video games, etc.? Uh, yeah, all of that. Uh, <laughs> I hope. Uh, so there has been little bits of interest in the movie side so far, just like, you know, little things. So because of one of those, I'm writing the screenplay for the first book, um, which I, I did screen writing before I started publishing too. So that's a fun passion of mine. Uh, and it's been pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, when I wrote this book, I, I definitely looked at it in a kind of scene sequence style where I'm looking at, you know, how would this work as a movie? Uh, just cause it's something I always kind of do. Uh, there's a few books of mine that are definitely not that way at all. Like false redemption. It's just not, nah, no, nah, that wouldn't work as a movie really well. Uh, but, but like this is like very much, it's made to be a movie, uh, in a sense. And so when I'm writing it, like I did the first 25 pages of the screenplay last night and that's not hard for this, which is great. You know, like if you can get to that point, a lot of times when you try to adapt something, you have to change things completely and redo this and that, uh, but with this one, that's not really the case. So so hopefully that'll work out. I have some plans for how to shop that around when I'm done and we'll see. But, you know, Hollywood, 
it doesn't always happen. Even if it happens, <laughs> if you sell it, that doesn't mean it's going to get made or, you know, all these things could happen in the way. Um, as far as video games, uh, maybe, you know, with my video game background, uh, I have some contacts who have recently gone out and started their own game companies. And we've been talking about ideas. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if any of that stuff happens, I'm sure it's way down the road. When I, when I write, I see like a movie in my head and then I try to capture that on the written page. Cause that's how I, tell the stories and so i imagine because of that process and there are a lot of authors that sort of write that way it would probably be possible to make it a movie you know assuming that there's a big enough budget for the ships and what in armor and whatnot but I, I i couldn't imagine sitting and trying to turn that into a screenplay so if anybody ever is like hey we want to make a movie i'll be like have fun you know yeah and well that's why this first book like like the books get into that stuff but the first book is all on a space station just one space station and i did that on purpose because i wanted to keep the budget uh low for well two reasons first i came to it i was like oh i just think that'd be fun to have a whole story on the space station and two i wanted to keep the budget you know from being insane uh so 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 i kept the first book like that on, on purpose and as long as i'm writing it it's just like uh easy cool locations when you can see stuff in space and you can see earth and you can see other space stations maybe but uh it's not it's not insane like big space battles or anything like that in book one uh which is different from like my shadow core series where right off the bat that's just like boom if they try to make that in a movie you're gonna go broke real fast <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't actually worry any of like i just told the story like in my head it, right. movies just aren't happening like so if that <laughs> happens great but i'm i'm not banking my writing career on getting <laughs> getting movies so i i just try to go with it but it's it's kind of neat process to write that way though to to think about that in the back of your head yeah and for me it depends on the series like i might be writing a series like like shadow core where i'm just like i'm just gonna write the biggest baddest thing i can think of or in this case i wanted to write something that felt more contained when you're reading it too so it's like if if somebody wants a sci-fi story that's not all over the place craziness then this is the one for you if somebody wants the all over the place craziness then shadow core is the place for you um i know i should just write like one thing so that one group of readers can get all into it but i i just the artist in me wins out every time (laughs) (laughs) all right so is there anything else you want to tell us about this uh biotech series that before Um, we transition to the to the other questions no, I mean, uh, oh, just for people who haven't checked out the blurb or anything, I, I just say that what I think is fun about it is that I start off uh, with two main POV characters who are at odds with each other on opposite sides. And so you're reading that, figuring out like where are their paths going to collide and how so. And I think that's a lot of fun. And that's where a lot of the readers have been like, oh, here's where it's really cool. This is where you hit on something that, you, that has, I haven't seen a lot of before. And and not sure lots of stories do that, but I just think it was a fun way that uh, for me to approach it. Okay. I know that um, when I wrote like a big uh, set piece battle in in my first book and I was trying to show it from all sides. I actually used the sand table technique that they taught us in the in the infantry. And so do you do that when you write your own stuff? Like do you like map out the battle and figure out like so you know where they are? No. Uh, so so readers who want that should probably read you or like MD Cooper or <laughs> these kind of guys. <laughs> no, I'm very much more of a character focused uh writer so when when i get into these big battles what i start thinking about and i'm giving away my secret sauce right here because i try to be hand wavy about it a little bit but uh what i try to think about is more like what's the character doing at this moment and how do i get away from writing all those crazy space battles <laughs> so like if i have valerie in that series and she's in the middle of this big you know yeah the big space battle then i'm gonna be thinking okay well maybe she can get in there and be trying to assassinate the main bad guy and so she's going and she's like looking up and seeing all this happening and she's on the comms talking to these people while it's happening but I don't have to get into all the details of it. I can be like, she looks up and then I can do like a one paragraph description of something blowing up and her being like, get out of there, you know, and something happens else. And then she moves into the ship and now she's in a hallway and she's taking down bad guys. And that's, that's more my style. So I don't actually, so my idea, at least when I try to write it, because I don't think I'm smart enough to pull it off like the way, uh, 
Michael Cooper does, MD Cooper, yeah. is I try to uh, focus on like like to show the broad and then zoom real quick into like what the average Joe on the ground is feeling. Okay, so like, similar, yeah, yeah. So I, I do the same thing, and I actually haven't written a large space battle yet. Like I've kept it all like, Oh, the space battle happens. And then the, the troops land. And then we, then we talk. So I, I definitely, yeah, that's, that's, it's too scary. <laughs> just, I wouldn't know how. And reading George R. R. Martin's book, I keep mentioning him cause I'm obsessed with him. I, I will, I'll admit it. Uh, like with game of Thrones, what's fun is in the books, he almost always just skims over the battles. Like, Oh, there's a battle there. And then you're on to the next thing. It's because he's like, well, I don't, nobody reads my books for the battles. They read it for the characters. So why spend all that time on the battle? And his books are already long enough. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't read them, you can always use them as a doorstop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've mentioned previously that you were you were also a military veteran. You were in the Marine Corps. And we ask this question of all um, veteran authors and, and law enforcement if they were, were uh, so inclined. But how do you feel like your time in the Marine Corps affects the stories you tell? Uh, well, on the, I use this a lot. The, the word nostalgia uh, – it's a big part of why I write because you'll just be sitting around and you'll, you'll hear a song or you'll just have a memory pop up. And it just makes you feel this sense of like, where did those days go? Right? Like what happened to that time? Did I really live that? Was that really me? Did I, did I go through boot camp and all this stuff? Like sometimes it just doesn't feel like it. And, and so when I'm writing, like one reason I actually started writing was my grandma kept asking me to write journals of all this stuff. And I tried to write a journal. I got like half a page through and I'm like, this is not my thing at all. Why am I doing this? But then I tried to write it as as uh, Falls Redemption, the fantasy book. And that just flowed. And I was like, this is this is my journal. I'm just writing my own experiences through this crazy, weird, made-up land and <laughs> with powers or spaceships or whatever. Uh, and so in that sense, it very much motivates a lot of what I write because it's really just like these, when they go through their training, it's like me recalling what I did, but then adding a layer of craziness on top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I started as therapy. Like they they wanted us to write like as writing as therapy class that they conducted, and so for me, making it science fiction was just it was removed enough that I could I could talk about it, right? So basically, when people buy my book, they're paying me for my therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've mentioned that you uh, are more of a character driven author. Um, and so do you ever draw from people that you knew in the military as sort of like inspiration or, or archetypes? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a staff sergeant. Um, I will not apologize if you're listening. I do not like you. <laughs> he was a, a dirk. Uh, he, he's motivated at least one or two of my characters, uh, people who I just had, you know, get punched in the face here and there, um, for sure. <laughs> and then others. I had a, a warrant officer, uh, Moran, that was his last name. He was amazing. So whenever I think of like a leader or Staff Sergeant Monzon, also great guy. Whenever I think of like leaders, these are the kind of guys that, that I draw from for that, like how they encouraged me and got me motivated. Um, and then on the other side, like I did, I was a martial arts instructor for the Marine Corps and we did this, uh, intensive, um, martial arts training with, you know, a group of other guys and gals. And so you get really close with these people cause you're grappling, your crotches are in each other's faces, you're punching each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so like these are the kind of people that I started feeling like were my real, uh, brothers and sisters in arms and, 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 and they're definitely people I draw on when I'm like looking at a team that I'm writing, I'll look back on how we interacted and they're like, there's this one skinny guy who's always like no girl's ever gonna get me to tap out no girl and the first girl he goes against he gets tapped out and i just love like, i love that attitude where it's just like you little douchebag uh it's great uh so just looking back at those moments i try to re uh to, to capture that quite a lot in my writing but did you actually deploy overseas or were you um out before that uh i got out in 2004 but in nine in 2000 2001 ish i was a uh, stationed with this group called the joint reserve intelligence uh, C- communication center i think it was the jbrick uh and they were it, we were part of this section of it that was non-deployable so even though all this crazy stuff was happening and going down and my uh my corporal 
I, I was a sergeant at the time when a lot of this was happening and my corporal was like really wanted to deploy, you know, he wanted to go out there and do the thing that he joined up to do, but we just weren't allowed to. And there was only two of us. Uh, we were basically like uh, in charge of all the reservists coming in and getting their intel stuff going on and then getting them out the door and, and all that. Uh, so, so no, I was in Okinawa for a year and Pensacola, Florida for some time and mostly Camp Pendleton, California. Okay. Well, the, um, I mean, I definitely understand. So like if for people that don't understand why, why military people would potentially want to go to war, it would be like you would train your entire life to play football and then your team gets to the Super Bowl and they tell you, nope, stay home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I had a buddy who like his big thing was he wants to go die in combat. You know, like there's a lot of those guys in the Marines, uh, which seems what weird. What an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm like, what an idiot. Yeah. There's a lot of those. Uh, I, I love the Marines in in hindsight, <laughs> when I was in though, it's just, it's a different kind of, uh, that most of the people are not the same kind of person as me. Like they don't aspire to write novels. You know what I mean? A lot of them want to go die in combat or they want to punch each other or make fun of homosexuals or something like this was the group that I was surrounded by. And there's always exceptions and that's awesome. Uh, but when you're, uh, when you're with a bunch of like 19 year olds who haven't gone to school, I know I'm talking down, damn it. It sounds bad. But what I'm just saying is the truth. You know, when you're a bunch of 19 year olds who are, haven't gone to school and they're from all around the country, different backgrounds and what have you, uh, you interact with a lot of this kind of different, different behaviors and different thoughts and, uh, not as open-minded as you might other places. And so that, that was a, Interesting. I think some of that depends on like the MOS you pick your your military occupational specialty. Yeah, but we were intelligence, so you'd think that would be different, right? Uh, (laughs) Yes, but but marine intelligence. Uh, So So the smart ones probably join the army or the navy or the air force or something or the coast guard. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm kidding. I say (laughs) (laughs) I say that with love. I actually uh, my my squad leader and my team leader when I deployed. um, So I was. Bravo team leader, but the alpha team leader, so he was the senior one, were both uh, Marines. They had actually gotten out of active duty Marine Corps because of back-to-back deployments. And so like, well, just go in the reserves. They never deploy. And literally like 15 days after they joined us, the the unit, like the unit got mobilized. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, we had a lot of people recalled. And that was a big pain in the butt in my time. It was like everybody, like one guy's fiance, they were about to get married and got recalled and they shipped off. And it's like, well, Sorry, we ruined your marriage or potential chance. But I mean, I guess maybe it wouldn't have lasted anyway if, you know, <laughs> if it was so fragile. But Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, that that's it's not the military. It's the, the nature of the relationships that cause the problem. Yeah. I think there's that sense of urgency sometimes. So people rush into it uh-huh. uh, with, with weddings and such just to get off out of yeah. the barracks. But um, yeah, I definitely feel their pain because I had actually put in to get out early for my uh, my second deployment because I had gotten married and my wife was going to finish school. And I was like, I'll just go to OCS when I'm done. And that was the deployment I got hurt on. And they said, nope, uh, Sarge, you're, you're not done yet. And so it literally, oh like I was on my honeymoon on my first uh-huh. week of marriage when they called at three in the morning yeah. to activate us. And my wife answered the phone because I'm a deep sleeper. She's like, do you know what time <laughs> it is? And so like, they're like giving her all this stuff to try to get her to wake me up. And like, this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the code word that this isn't a drill. And she hung up on my commander, my first sergeant. Then she cussed out the first sergeant. So I got a few looks when I uh, when I got dropped off. Yeah, I bet that sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can laugh about it now, but at the time I'm like, I hope yeah, they don't yeah. take my You're stripes right. away. They should be proud of you, man. You married a strong woman. That's good. <laughs> yeah, she puts up with me. So, but we've talked about um, that you were in the military and that you write uh, military. Well, some of your books fall under the category of, of military science fiction. Um, so what is your biggest pet peeve when you read the books in that genre, when you read Mill SF? I get, well, so for me as a reader, let's just say not in the military, as me as a, as a Marine, but me as a reader, um, it's really 
like spending too much time on some of those things uh, doesn't work for me. Uh, you know, like spending too much time on the space battles or spending too much time on the tactical stuff or going into too much description on the different kinds of guns. I know some of these readers, that's their thing. Like a lot of mil- military science fiction readers love everything I just said. <laughs> that's why they read that genre. But for me, I'm more excited about uh, the stuff that relates to me. Like, you know, when, when the people are going through all these different experiences, what are they feeling about it? And how does that inter- how does that affect their relationships with each other? And what links will they go to, to, you know, defend their brother in arms and will they throw their life on the line? You know, all these kind of things that like are truly big character moments where you look at that person, you're like, that's the, that's the guy I want to have going into uh, combat with me. Uh, yeah. So, so getting into the weeds, I guess I'm more of a, a high level uh, character kind of reader as well as writer. Um, and then of course, if they get things wrong, you know, there's uh, even in some of my co-authorship stuff, like where we've written a book and then there, I've had very different experiences with co-authoring. And there's sometimes where, part of the uh, book will get written after I'm done with it. And I won't realize that because something got screwed up along the way. <laughs> it gets to the publication. And then all of a sudden you see these reviews and you're like, no, that definitely isn't the case. And then you contact your co-writer and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's the case. <laughs> Crap. So, so I can say like, you know, looking at uh, something and we, we, in those cases, we've gone back through and rewritten and republished uh, or had editors go through and say, look for this. Apparently this happened. Uh, so looking at my own works too, but looking at others, if they mess it up, you know, like they call a Marine a soldier or little things like that. I just, if I'm seeing that in a book, I'm just going to throw it away. So I know I've talked to um, Craig Martell on some of the author groups and that was his big pet peeve is because he was a Marine as well is if you don't uh, capitalize Marine, yeah, <laughs> but I wrote uh, I wrote a novel for the uh, Galaxy's Edge series, which we can talk about now because they've announced it. Um, oh. Where in their series, in their universe, they don't um, they don't capitalize Marine. So I'm like, oh, I'm just mentally cringing because I know someone's going to say something in the reviews. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that unless I explain it in the book. I'd have to be like, I'd have to bring that bring that up. <laughs> you know, like somebody's like, maybe we should start capitalizing Marine, and then somebody else be like, no, here's why we shouldn't do that. Like a disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In-text disclaimer. <laughs> so that's uh, that's definitely was a little bit tricky because in my head, like, I-, I was a Navy brat and then I joined the Army. So, like, I, I grew up around Marines. So, like, no, you capitalize it. So it's it's definitely – and I did Navy JROTC with one of the instructors was a Marine. So, like, I could just see him frowning at me as I was typing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think they had a logical reason for it. Like their Marines aren't really our Marines. It's some futuristic alternate thing, whatever. I don't remember, but yeah. Well, it's, all, it's also the Chicago Manual of Style disagrees with what the military sort of lore, commonplace, whatever is. So it's, you know, grammatically it's correct. But but anyway, I know. I don't um, correct. I don't, I, <laughs> I support that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's definitely going to get some, some eyeballs. So I, I sort of cringed a little bit when I had to. But it's, you know, it's a fun world. And uh, until they said it, I didn't notice it when I was reading it. Like until, until they told me. Oh, really? I noticed Did it. Did you? Um, I noticed it, I think, there. And then also in uh, Andalee's books, when I was starting to go right with him, I was like, dude, you forgot to capitalize Marines. <laughs> this is just this is wrong. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I can see I can see how you would. So um, following that, what do you think is the best military unit in science fiction? Obviously, you'd give yourself top billing. So other than your own, what, uh, what what's your favorite military unit in science fiction? I, I actually don't have a good answer for that. I will say that... Um, like, it's totally different answer than what you're looking for, but... Uh, like reading, uh, and it's not really military science fiction. Is it? Is it? I don't know if it is. Maybe it is. Um, Starship's Mage. Like, what an amazing book by Glenn Stewart, right? Uh, but it kind of goes into the more science fantasy side of it, and it's not quite military. But I'm just going to have to shout out that right now and just say, like, that group and those characters and everything that they're up to in that book is just amazing. And 
yeah, uh, I'd like to be part of that that crew rolling into a fight, <laughs> and then going to start Starship Troopers, of course, you know, just the classic. Well, no, I mean, I think you answered that. I mean, it's not. I don't know if it's military science fiction or not, but it's definitely a military unit, so I'll take it. And uh, obviously, Starship Troopers. But would you rather join the Starship Troopers as it was seen in the movie or the book? Um, I'm actually reading the book right now. It's one of those stupid things that, uh, of, of my, you know, one of those things that I should have done a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, I did that recently too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm reading, I think they had a sale. Like I saw it on BookBub for 99 cents or something like that. So I was like, Oh, how have I not read this yet? That was stupid of me. And so I grabbed it and now I'm reading it. So having a lot of fun with that. Uh, but you know, the whole group on there was a lot of fun in the movie and good casting and they're hot. So maybe them, <laughs> I don't know what they look like in the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know some of the characters that were male were changed to female. So that made it a little, a little oh. different too. But, yeah, um, okay. so I would, you know, I was going to ask you if you prefer writing the large space battles or space Marine fights, but I think you already answered that. So as far as writing, um, you, you prefer to narrow down. So what do you like when you read? Uh, yeah, yeah. Same idea. Like, um, uh, and this is funny. I, I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit because Starship's Mage, like I said, I love that book. Or it was, I guess there's originally episodes and he put it all in the one book. So you kind of feel that. It, but it's still an amazing book. And at the end, though, I don't want to spoil it, so I won't say too much. But I'll just say, like, you expect there to be a little bit more of a battle. You know what I mean? Like, like some people are dissing on the hero's journey sometimes nowadays, but I still love it in concept uh, in theory because it goes through the emotional ups and downs, too. So it's, you know, you have, like, this battle and you expect to feel a high and a low. And then, like, a yay, a victory after that big low. The dark moment of the soul, uh, Save the Cat books calls it. Um, and sometimes you'll get these big battles and all of a sudden it'll just be like a big explosion and then something happens and then they win. And then you're like, well, well, no, <laughs> that's cool. And that might've be how it would really happen in real life. But as a reader, I want to feel the ups and downs. You know what I mean? Like I want to go through that journey. Uh, so sometimes if that's, if they don't have enough of a battle, then I'm going to kind of, uh, yeah, be one of those people who's like, where's the battle? What's going on here? And even if it's from like, we were talking about where it's from the character's point of view, but you still know that it's happening and that there's maybe a moment of risk and worry there before the victory. Uh, yeah, that, that's enough. Okay. So um, as we wrap this up, your bio mentions that you're a, a father with several kids. So how do you manage to balance that uh, without pulling out all your hair when you're writing? <laughs> well, luckily, my hair has already been falling out on its own, so I don't have to uh, multitask. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yesterday I drank coffee at like seven o'clock and stayed up till 1230 writing. And then I woke up again at six, which is pretty late for me usually. Uh, but I was just exhausted, I guess, uh, and wrote some more. Uh, and so that's a big part of it. Usually, uh, usually what I'll do is I'll try to fall asleep with the kids and then wake up at like three and then go right until they wake up. And then I go drop them off at daycare, get situated right for another two or three hours, uh, have some lunch, maybe work out. And then I'll go right for another couple of hours before picking them up from daycare. And then the evening is pretty much theirs, right? Because I can't, um, no, I have to pick them up from daycare. I have to feed them, get them ready for bed. And and then by then I'm like exhausted because I woke up at three. So I pass out. Uh, and I think it's, it's all about what are your priorities? Like I hear some people talking about this and trying to manage it. And I'm, and then they talk about how they went out and did X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, dude, no, you can't do X, Y, and Z. If you want to be serious about this and get it out on, on a fast schedule, you know what I mean? Uh, not saying that people shouldn't have lives, but just saying that's how I managed to do it. <laughs> it's just not have a life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at myself when I answer that question, I'm like, Oh, how sad, <laughs> but I love writing. So it's okay. And I love being with my wife and my kids. And uh, it's kind of, like when I was in DC, we were in DC right before this, and I had a lot of friends who always wanted to get together and stuff. And it's kind of nice living somewhere where you have less uh, friends who are close by. Like I have friends in San Francisco and South and whatnot, but it's just like it's an hour to drive, so you're rarely going to meet each other. You'll do it here and there, but not very often. And in a way, that's nice when you have a family and you want to be a writer because you just don't want to be distracted by going out and getting beers all the time. Okay, 
So um, now enough about your book. So shameless plugging is over. What are you reading in the science fiction genre right now besides Starship Troopers? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been reading some uh, some weird stuff uh, because of pending things. So I don't know if I should mention those. <laughs> but uh, one that I've been kind of liking lately is called Shoot the Messenger by, how do you say her name, Pippa DaCosta? Uh, it's a science fantasy. So, you know, there's like, uh, she has a kind of like the game Destiny, the video game. Uh, she has a, like a floating uh, orb type thing that's like an AI robot. Uh, and it's sci fi and there's ships and stuff, I think. But it also has an element of magic to it. Um, that's kind of fun. Kind of like May uh, Sage's uh, Strands of Fire, Star, Strands of Starfire. Okay. So it's got a similar idea there. Uh, Terms of Enlistment, actually, is another one that I never read, but everybody tells me I should have. So I've been listening to the audio. Like Clues? What's that? Is that the Marco Clues yes. one? Yeah, exactly. And Red Rising. I, I've enjoyed his book. What's that? I've enjoyed yeah, his I, book. I, I like it. Um, I won't say anything bad about it. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm in love with it yet. So I'm trying to figure out if I'm in love with it or how to be, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, but I, everybody says such great things that I'm sure it's amazing. I just have to get to that point. I'm one of these kind of readers who like, if it's not happening on page three, I'll usually just stop. And then like a year later, so, somebody will be like, you have to read it. And so I'll it it's and Red it. Rising, but, you said? Uh, when books grab me on like page one or two or three, that that's the way to go for me. So um uh, one of my co-writers recently did a uh, New World Disorder, which is a uh, his mech series, and and when he wrote with me, I thought he was fun, you know, good, but not like amazing. But then like on this, he actually like I f- he found his voice, you know, and so like it's busting out, and so I've enjoyed that book a lot. And, and like I think it said Mid Rising. Um, my sister convinced me to read that finally, and I'm having a lot of fun with that one, which is another kind of science, kind of science fantasy, science something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's really popular right now. There's like four or five of them, and it's this whole concept of genetic engineering and people have colonized Mars and whatnot. And the big the big hook is like he's a he's a miner on Mars trying to terraform it, and then he finds out like right away, really early on in the story. So that's the 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 hook. He finds out that oh, they've actually colonized Mars a long time ago. He's just a slave who's like mining for more minerals or resources or something like that, and they've lied to him his whole life. So then they go off to genetically engineer him and make him into this other thing. That's exciting. So the New World Disorder was that P. T. Hilton. Uh, no, no, that's uh, George Mahaffey, George S. Mahaffey Jr., who um, – the, the reason we started writing together actually is he has done well in the screenwriting world. He sort of uh, sold a script back in the day to uh, Michael Bay for like big, big bucks. Uh, and so he, he's pretty well known in the screenwriting world. And since we started writing together, I've had a few people email me and be like, oh, you're writing with, with him? That's cool, man. Uh, so it's, it's kind of kind of fun to like be writing with somebody who people from another world <laughs> know about, you know, not just the indie publishing world. Okay. So are there any scientific breakthroughs that you're following or excited by at the moment? Because we try to focus some on the science that is part of science fiction. There was one that I was thinking of, but I forgot now. But uh, one thing that inspired the biotech wars, too, was reading or the, one of these YouTube videos is talking about the world in 2050, 2070, whatever. And they were talking about Japan having space elevators. Is <laughs> a thing they're talking mentioned in one of these videos. Uh, and so I incorporated that. And that's kind of like a fun concept, although I don't really quite know what it means. You know, um, did some research on it, but uh, not enough. Oh, one thing. This is not really I don't know if it's a breakthrough because I didn't follow up on the research side of it yet is uh, my book deals a lot with uh brain augmentation so uh the idea that you could take what happened to robin williams you know the uh, uh what's it called lou uh, lou something disease it happened to my grandma too so i shouldn't know it i usually lou do Gehrig. yeah lou gehrig's yeah 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 so like you get extra proteins on your brain and it causes you to like start having hallucinations and all these other weird things that could happen to to you when that happens when you contract it, is that the right word? I don't know uh but anyway so what i'm what what i'm looking at is how that can be used in the alternate sense so you you take this and you start um, manipulating the brain in the in the similar way but to get what you want from it and and when i started writing this one of my buddies said he actually 
watched a YouTube video about a guy in China who claims to already be doing this with some kind of radiation effects on the brain, which I'm like, who are you testing this on, buddy? Uh, <laughs> but it sounds, you know, to me, this is the kind of stuff that's exciting when you start getting into these weird uh, manipulating people and their minds and stuff. <laughs> so that's a main, uh, the, the spaceship, the, what do you call it? The, the space elevators and this brain manipulation with kind of a Lou Gehrig's disease type thing uh, have played big roles in the biotech series. I definitely am fascinated by that kind of stuff too, because one of the things is um, when I was in Iraq, you know, I suffered over 27 concussions from the, you know, the IEDs going off. And so when you have that many concussions or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. you're susceptible to dementia as you get older. So for me, it's not if, but when, and that's, that's one of the reasons I write, because it sort of forces the brain to exercise, if you would. And so all of that stuff, I find it fascinating. Like, I'm like, I feel like I should, like, get some pom-poms and wave on the side. Like, research, research, go, team, go. Um, but I've been watching. So recently, um, two astronauts and a cosmonaut landed on Earth after 168 days in space on the on the space station, which I know it doesn't really sound like a lot of time. But every time I see space news, like, this little part of me gets happy. So... <laughs> Uh, my biggest fear is that we decide space is too expensive and we s- just stop going forward. So, like, I'll take in- I'll take any sign that we're still going forward and just cheer it along. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's a. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no. It's, it's just basically when they came back down from the um, the space station. Uh, it's just one of the one of the more semi recent news stories. So I I, I kind of find that that all interesting. So, mm-hmm. oh, so it was Lou body disease, Lou body dementia. That's what I was going for. I don't know if that's different from right. Eric's. I don't know what Eric's is. Sorry, people. I'm not smart on this stuff. <laughs> but Louis body dementia. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll make a show note and link to a description of it. But, uh, but yeah, that and the, uh, the two twins where one of them went into space for the year and then his brother, they're, they're both astronauts for NASA and his brother stayed. And that was the other one I was watching was that uh, the DNA on the, tw- on the one that was in space has sh- shifted some. So they're not like, they're not mirror anymore. So I, I don't know if that goes back to normal or what, but it's definitely it's definitely an interesting time to be alive. Yeah, that's really weird, right? Like, <laughs> that's really yeah. Well, most of my stuff I get from you. I just see all the posts you put on there, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. That's like my main <laughs> research on the what's cool in sci-fi right, lately, or science, I guess I should say. So uh, if my science teachers in in high school could in college even could see me now, they'd be like, where was this love of science when you were barely awake in my class and drooling on the desk? <laughs> but, you know, it's it's when you can take the big picture and you don't have to, like, figure out why it's doing that. I find it fascinating. You want me to break down like molecular code and study the RNA of plants or whatever? Like, I'm bored out of my mind. Like, yeah, I don't know why they don't teach more of the, the, the relevant stuff. Come on. <laughs> so, all right. So is there, um, how can listeners find you? Uh, yeah. So like you mentioned, I have the podcast that I do, although it's been, we've been going more to like every once a month or once every two weeks lately. Cause I'm more just doing it nowadays for fun. So like, if I feel like talking to somebody, I get them on there, but I'm not really worried about keeping up the schedule anymore. And I've actually found that the numbers are about the same anyway, when I do that. So, Hey, that's cool. Thanks listeners. But that's creative writing career podcast. And, uh, same thing, creative writing career.com brings you there. Uh, I used to have a website for it with like a blog and everything, but I, you know, blogging is cool, but I'd rather just write books nowadays. So um, I have a Facebook group uh, called The Slum Zone. So if you want to join us there and chat about whatever, uh, also my books is fine too. Uh, <laughs> join us. And uh, I have a website, which is justinsloanauthor.com. And that's where I, if I do a blog post, I do it there nowadays. And I also do snippets from books and sometimes give away notifications and all that. Uh, but a lot of it's really at the Facebook group. That's probably the best place to be, The Slum Zone. Okay. And they can find, you guys can find us at sfshenanigans.com. 
That is Sierra Fox shenanigans spelled out.com. Our Twitter is at SFS underscore show. And if you want to email us, it's at uh, podcast at SF shenanigans.com. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.